Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. Uh, I was a little bit busy before the podcast uh, trying to figure out how much bribe money I needed to uh, gin up to get my daughter into the best schools. <laughs> you know, back in the day when I went to college, all you had to do was pay some money and, and get a building. These days, it's so fancy. <laughs> so the the big scandal this morning is, so is it Felicity Huffman and Aunt, Be- Aunt Becky from Full House, uh, uh, Lori Laughlin, are involved in a national college admissions scandal involving uh, rampant bribery. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I, I say that's the uh, nice layman's terms. Pretty much they are uh, paying this guy who then makes their students feel like athletes. Therefore, they get the athlete treatment and admissions process and get into such fine institutions as Georgetown and Stanford and, uh, as was totally slided on in the FBI report, uh, University of San Diego. And it's it's interesting because in watching a lot of uh, teen soaps and things like that, the OC, 902 and O through the years, I just thought it was common practice that, you know, you know, like 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 Peter Gallagher uh, buys some, you know, donates to some charity in order to get, you know, his his Seth into a school. You know, that's kind of how it works. Right. Totally. And um, I think the two greatest things to come on the Internet following this were uh, one Felicity Huffman apparently had tweeted a little bit ago. Hey, it's back to school season. Anyone got some hacks <laughs> or Lori Laughlin's daughter? And everyone pointed out that the return on investment was already working because she had a sponsored ad for like Target college room and board being like, hey, guys, just moved in. Love my new comforter. Hashtag ad. See, this is why I think I turned out the way that I did, because my parents made me pay my own way to college. I had to work at Burger King. I had to work at Blockbuster in order to earn enough money to bribe the admissions people. They didn't bribe them themselves. They had me, you know, work my tail off to work to get that bribe money. And I think that's sort of the moxie that today's generations lack. Coming up on ESPN on Ice, we're going to talk to Shannon Zbados of the Buffalo Buttes, ahead of the uh, NBHL championship uh, rounds. And we're going to talk to Allison Lucan, about the Columbus Blue Jackets. She, of course, stat guru with The Athletic. And we've got a lot of other things to talk about today on ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on Ice. The podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And oh boy, did we have a scandal last night. My goodness. Scandal, scandal, scandal. Uh, the NHL had to comment on it. The Toronto Maple Leafs had to comment on it. Comment on it? They had to do an investigation. It was a full investigation. Lasted the morning. <laughs> Less than 12 hours. In last night's game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, in which the Tampa Bay Lightning once again asserted dominance uh, in the uh, Eastern Conference with a very impressive effort, there was a moment in the, uh, I believe it was the second period? Third period. Second period. 6-2 loss. There's a moment where uh, on the Sportsnet broadcast, you see Morgan Riley chasing lightning forward Yanni Gord to the Toronto zone. The Leafs are on a power play. 
Uh, referee Brad Meyer is skating back with them. And you hear on the audio what sounded very suspiciously like an anti-gay slur being uttered by somebody. So internet sleuths, being the sleuths they are, put this little puzzle together. Morgan Riley was very upset about there not being a hooking call earlier in his shift and appeared to be yelling at the referee about it. As they're skating back into the zone, you can see Morgan Riley's head turn towards the referee. Then you hear this, what sounded like at the time, a gay slur. And all of the little internet people that clipped the the clip from Sportsnet got on their machines and banged down on their keyboards and said, Morgan Riley says gay slur to referee. And and this wasn't just simply, you know, a few people on Twitter. This was the entirety of, like, the hockey community did this thing. To the point where after the game, the NHL said it was going to launch an investigation. Kyle Dubas, the GM of the Maple Leafs, had to comment on it. Everyone had to remind us all that we believe in hockey is for everyone and that we were going to take this very seriously and that gay slurs have no place in this game. But I just uh, want to reiterate yes. that on, on Reddit – where many people get their hockey news, mostly bar down. Um, the thread that had a, over a thousand comments on it was Morgan Riley calls ref a blankety blank caught on mic. So we're not simply just saying that it, that someone may have heard a gay slur. We're, we're saying that Morgan Riley did this. And then this set off a cottage industry of people remembering that time that Morgan Riley said that really misogynistic thing and had to apologize for it. And now we're going to go and call him human garbage and pieces of trash, and we're putting asterisks in his name so people can't search out his name and and get involved in people's conversations about how horrible Morgan Riley is. And so that then, of course, led, like you said, to the NHL putting out a statement and and their statement of is, is you know we're going to investigate this thing and then Dubas has his statement and it's a huge embarrassment for a moment for the Leafs because they're less than a couple of weeks removed from having a you can play night uh, at their game and they've obviously been involved in that organization for a really long time and so this whole thing is just this smoldering powder keg because now we also have to think about the the NHL and how they suspended Andrew Shaw for a game in 2017 but didn't do the same for Ryan Getzlaff because the Ducks were in the conference final. But then we also have to think about the last time this happened with Andrew Shaw where everyone believed he said something uh, of that, that appeared to be a gay slur and then the investigation showed he didn't. Which again is what happened this morning when the NHL looked into the situation, Emily. So... The going theory, and this was brought up on Reddit last night, is that he actually said ragged, ragged, ragged. Personally, I've never heard of the term ragged used at a hockey rink, but I digress because somebody did the due diligence of picking up Ken Dryden's book, Game Change, and they found three instances of ragged being used. Yeah, so-, so, yes, it is now a hockey term, and we can now settle the matter here. I really uh, think we need to pause for a second and establish the timeline. The timeline was this. Someone posts the video and says, Morgan Riley said this. And then everybody started going after Morgan Riley as being a, a giant homophobe. 
And then <laughs> another Leafs fan started to break down the audio and said, no, look, if you if you move the audio back into the left, back into the left, you can see, or here in this case, that it's somebody on the ice saying ragged, not the thing you think they said. And so the theory was then established that it's not Morgan Riley saying this word to the referee. It's somebody from the lightning bench saying it to Yanni Gord as he's going back to get the puck on the penalty kill in the attacking zone. Like, don't play the puck quickly. Rag it. Rag the puck. And then what happened is you had all the Leafs fans being like, there it is. Case closed. Ragged. And then you had Daniel Carcillo, of all people, as the NHL guy in the situation coming back and being like, in 16 years of playing professional hockey, I have never heard of the term ragged. And then all the people that want to crucify Morgan Ryan were like, look at Daniel Carcillo. He never heard of the word ragged. And then this morning, the NHL comes out and was like, eh, let's try ragged. I think it's interesting on a couple different levels. One, I feel like, you know, we talk about hockey is for everyone. And I think, unfortunately, that lumps just a couple different too many things in there. We talk about it, including sled hockey. We talk about it, including women. We talk about including different races and and different um, sexual orientations. And I think the NHL has made great progress on it. But the truth is uh, most of our fans are skeptical uh, that the NHL is taking this seriously. And so they do this investigation and you wonder how serious could it be if it was 10 hours and, you know, it includes one interview with Morgan Riley and one interview with the ref and listening to the tape. And you know what? You're right. Maybe it wasn't his tape and the NHL does have microphones around the arena, but there's sure is skepticism here. I think the larger conversation, though, is, is the NHL a welcome place? Do these things happen on the ice? And those are the questions I'm wondering. It's kind of a sad reality that hockey fans have been deputized to scour video and try to find these instances when they happen to then put a spotlight on them. And in some cases, it's been really beneficial, like in the first Andrew Shaw thing. Um, And we feel the the need to do this because we kind of feel like the NHL is not taking it all that seriously. Case in point, Ryan Getzlaff getting a fine and not a suspension in the same playoff that Andrew Shaw got a suspension. But the problem is, is that we're not cops, like, or, or audio technicians, or lip readers. And so this is now two instances in the last two years in which everybody on social media saw a clip and assumed it was a, this guy saying this thing, and it turns out that it wasn't. And that's kind of a problem. Like, you can't be cry wolf about this stuff. To say it was Morgan Riley and to put the burden of proof on did Morgan Riley do this or not in an official capacity is wrong. Because that's kind of painting him with that brush. And, like, I, 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 I just feel like we need to be a lot more careful. We can put the video up and say, I think there might be something here. We should kind of figure out what happened. And hopefully whoever did it gets punished. But that's miles. Just light years away from a Reddit post saying Morgan Riley said blankety blank to the referee. And that's just irresponsible. And we got to be better with that. Well, I guess this is an awkward transition to talk about how amazing the Tampa Bay Lightning are, huh? (laughs) 
<laughs> they're pretty good. They're a juggernaut. How about that road uh, goal differential, huh? And that road goal differential. Dmitry Filipovich and I, of course, uh, wrote about the Lightning earlier this week on ESPN and uh, tried to game plan five ways that you could beat them. I think I think we hit on one thing that might be a trouble spot for them, which is that teams that can control the middle of the ice and possess the puck a little bit could be could be problematic for them. But I don't buy the fact that you can punch them in the mouth and they're going to wilt. Um, I, I do think in, in reading that story, like the Boston Bruins seem like the team that might be best designed to beat them. Um, but the other thing about them too, and, and this is a serious, this this is the mountain that they have to climb before they can shake off the idea that they're not a psychologically damaged Washington Capital-esque team is the last two times that they've been taken to a game six, they lost it, and then they lost game seven. And it's not so much that their entire game fell apart. They played pretty well defensively as they couldn't put the puck in the net. Couldn't put the puck in the ocean. Like Kucherov was the invisible man. Stamkos didn't play in uh, game six against the Penguins, played in a very limited capacity in game seven because he was hurt. But he did play in the Washington series, did nothing. Like, John Cooper said this to me earlier this season. He said, look, you know, we have a lot of things to work on to be a championship team, but one of the things that can't happen is that our offense can't simply disappear in, in key situations in the playoffs. And, and, you know, they roll through the first two rounds, they get to the conference final, and then in a key situation, they just they just can't score. And that is, that's one of those sort of, you got to show me. You know, it's like, it's like the Capitals beating the Penguins. Like, you got to show me you can do that. And then when you when you do do that, I, I I might as well just hand the cup to you. I honestly I don't vote for the Jack Adams, but I would really be hard pressed this year to say, okay, I understand what Barry Trotz did, but John Cooper is coaching an effing juggernaut, and they have not let up the gas pedal one bit this season, even though they have faced a little bit of adversity. I'm super impressed by what he's done. Well, it's the old Phil Jackson argument, right? Which is that you know, can the coach who's blessed with the best talent? really be the coach of the of the year compared to the guy who made you know something out of nothing yes and i always felt that in in a lot of ways the guy who manages the egos and meets the expectations and in cooper's case exceeds the expectations with the team this good i think that's as 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 good or better of a coaching job than anything anybody else does i mean what 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 did barry trotz this i'm not trying to diminish what Barry Trotz did. It's, it's incredible. But I mean, like, he, he made the goaltending good. And then everything else is kind of the same. I mean, the outside of losing Tavares. The defensive structure is much improved. Yeah. I mean, they, they lost Tavares, and, and so we automatically think they're going to suck. But in actuality, maybe it helps some people. And uh, and the goaltending got good, which is as much Mitch Corn as anything. So... I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. Like, if 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 the Tampa Bay Lightning end up with 129 or 130 points, I I can't in good faith give my give my Jack Adams vote to Barry Trotz if I had one. But I don't have one because the broadcasters do it, which means they'll just go to the best interview and the goodest guy. Which is usually how the Jack Adams works. The goodest they, boy they, of all the good boys. Yeah, laziest narrative, goodest guy, best interview. That's how Tortorella won it twice. <laughs> all right, our guest is someone that uh, I'm conflicted about. Emily wanted to have her on. As an American, I disagree. She's caused me a lot of pain through the years. As a terrible American, I'm happy to invite <laughs> Shannon Zabados 
Team Canada goalie, but also goalie for the Buffalo Buttes, who will be playing in the Isabel Cup this coming weekend. Now joining us is a player who needs no introduction. Uh, Greg does not like her because he likes to root for Team USA often. Uh, she has competed for Team Canada, but also for the Buffalo Buttes this season, and that is goalie Shannon Zabados. Shannon? We appreciate you being here. I think Greg has a few choice words before we get into yeah. actual things about your season. This isn't this. I I I I love and respect you, and and I've I've long thought that you you actually should be in the NHL at this point. But when I turn into a Canada USA game and I see your hair, I'm just like, oh great. Now now we're gonna have to beat Shannon again. And and it it it, it sometimes it happens, but oftentimes it doesn't. And I think it speaks to how good you are. Well, I appreciate it, and I hope that me playing in Buffalo and living in the U.S. somewhat softens that for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let's go into that. You know, you did make a decision to go play for the NWHL this year, and I, I believe you're the only Team Canada player in the league right now. So what went into that decision, and, and why did you side with Buffalo? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not the only Canadian. I'm the only Canadian national team player, but we have a lot of Canadians in the league. And I think it was, it was just based on location for me. My fiance, um, lives, was born in Ohio and we have a place in Ohio. So, um, I wanted to continue playing and Buffalo was a good fit. How are you finding Buffalo? Does Buffalo compare it all to Edmonton? Um, the city is just as hockey crazy and I'm not, everyone warned me about the winters and how, how crazy the, the Buffalo winter winters are. And I have to say it is a hundred times more mild than in Edmonton. So that was a nice surprise. So What's it we, like being with the, the organization? I mean, the, the Buttes have, have certainly um, gotten a lot of uh, renown for the relationship between the Pakula family and that team. What's it been like being with uh, the Buffalo organization? Yeah, it's been incredible. Um, I think we probably have uh, one of the best, if not probably the best run professional women's hockey team in the entire world. And we're very lucky to have the ownership we do and the relationship we do with them and the Sabres and the Bills and everything in Buffalo. It's, it's pretty incredible. So I'd like to go into that because a lot of people I talk to about professional women's hockey say you really need to look at the Pagulas because they set the standard for what women's hockey can be and with this team. What are some of the things that you and your teammates have that, that you really appreciate as an elite athlete? Um, I think first and foremost as an athlete, just the access to ice, uh, we have more ice. We have ice every single day, sometimes twice a day. You know, it's always open and available. And um, and same with the gym and access to facilities. And um, it really is just top notch. And then a lot of a lot of our staff crossover. So our our uh, PR staff and um, you know you see a lot of videos uh, of the Sabres guys. Um, wearing our Butte stuff, and they posted a video the other day before our playoff game. Um, Carter Hutton and some of the Sabres wishing us good luck, and it's just a really unique relationship. You guys are going to go to Minnesota this weekend and play in the Isabel Cup, and one player on your team I did not know much about, but she is so impressive to me, is Maddie Elia. Tell me, you you face her sometimes in practice, and and you've been around her. Tell our listeners a little about her and, and why she's had such a successful season. Yeah, she's she's played incredible for us this year. Um, 
she has so much skill and talent and um yeah she's fun to watch in practice and you know some of the some of the moves she comes up with and she's played so well for us some of the goals she scored this year has been incredible you were a an all-star team captain which is kind of a cool thing what was the experience like in nashville and uh had you had you ever had the opportunity to have a, a team named after you in an exhibition like that <laughs> no that was that was such an honor it was uh it was really cool the the league asked me to be a part of that and uh Lee Steckline was the other captain. We got to draft our own teams, and it was just a really cool weekend to be a part of. Who did All you right. look up to uh, growing up uh, as far as goaltenders go? Um, well, for me, being from Edmonton, my favorite goalie has always been Bill Ranford. Oh. Um, he obviously played for the Oilers back in their glory days in the 80s and 90s, and um, I went to his goalie school um, growing up, so I think I think my first full year of goaltending, I was seven or so, and I went to his goalie school for, oh, probably six or seven years. And then when I got a little bit older, um, he asked me to actually teach at it. So um, maybe showing my age a little bit there because, (laughs) you know, back in the day we didn't really have any female role models to to watch on the television. So hopefully times have changed a little, but he has always been a big uh, role model of mine. Last one for me. A lot of a lot of people obviously know you from your national team play and and, and making uh, me in particular miserable on a number of occasions with the way you've played against the Americans. But a lot of people also probably remember you from your time with the Columbus Cottonmouths and the Peoria Rivermen briefly in the Southern Professional Hockey League, playing in the men's league. And I was wondering, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, what your thoughts are uh, about that experience. Um, I had an absolute blast. It was probably one of the highlights of my career. I, I really loved my time, um, in Columbus, especially, you know, I was there for two and a half years and, um, it's kind of a little second home to me. And, um, yeah, the experience was, was unbelievable. Just being a part of, you know, a professional men's team and getting the experiences and the travel and the playing. I played with a bunch of my college buddies that I played with uh, back in Edmonton. So I had an absolute blast. And, um, yeah, it was definitely, like I said, a highlight of my career. And speaking of Edmonton, I I always wanted to ask you this. I remember your name coming up a number of times when the Oilers may have been in the need for an emergency goaltender. And I was wondering if if it ever came close to you getting into a game with the Oilers on an emergency basis, if there was ever a conversation about it, or if that was just like, Twitter speculation of like, there's a great goalie right over here. Or maybe in Buffalo this year. Um, I actually just read something the other day. I don't know. One of their goalies must have been sick or injured the other day because my Twitter was blowing up. They, they <laughs> had an emergency backup, but apparently the coach didn't know the name. So people were, were tossing my name out there, hoping it would be <laughs> me. But um, no, I, I, I got to practice with them. Um, they had traded for a goalie. This was after the last Olympics, so in 2014, they traded for a goalie, and he wasn't in yet, and it was a game day, and they had a morning skate, so um, Dallas Eakins was coach at the time, and he called me up, asked me if I'd come skate, and then uh, they had had an emergency backup for the game that night, but he he actually called me numerous times after that to to come practice with them, but I had headed down south to play with Cottonmouth already, oh, so man. it was a pretty cool experience, but um, no, not not really that close to actually getting in any game time. 
That's my dream, was that you get in as an emergency goalie for Edmonton, you get in the game, you stop like 20 of 20, and then all of a sudden, you know, someone's giving you an NHL contract. That was always my dream for you. I think that would be my dream, too. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Shannon, we really appreciate your time, and we wish you and all the Buttes uh, the best of luck this weekend. Thanks for having me, guys. Our thanks to the Buffalo Buttes, the Buffalo Sabres, and Shannon Zabados for joining us. And, you know, it's kind of a weird situation, right? They have no idea who they're going to play in the final yet, and they'll just have to discover that after the first uh, round of games. And did you guys all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? (laughs) And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logos and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all of their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats to the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones listening to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. It's only for new card members and limitations apply. But Greg, what do limitations not apply for? Tell me. Uh, the limitations do not apply to the number of playoff scenarios that are still alive hey. on the Eastern Conference bubble, baby. So as we sit right now. I love, by the way, how this is seesawed from the East is crazy. The West is crazy. The East is crazy. <laughs> so true. Today, the East is crazy. Today, the East is crazy. Uh, Tampa is a million miles ahead of everybody else than Boston, Toronto, and the Atlantic. Um, and then you have the Metro, which is Washington's got 89 points. So there's a little bit of separation between Washington and the Islanders and the third-place team, which is currently Carolina. And then things get really crazy. Carolina's got 83 points. Pittsburgh, 83. Okay, they're kind of in. Then Columbus, 79. Montreal, 79. And who's that? Who's that coming around the outside? In the final turn, the Philadelphia Flyers. What? Now, there's a guy on Twitter who has been on my behind for the better part of the year because I had the I, I had the uh, the audacity to say that the Philadelphia Flyers were a lock for the playoffs. And this guy who's been on my behind is a huge Columbus Blue Jackets fan. Oh, no. And all I can think of is if there's one scenario that your boy wants for his own sinister edification it'd be for the flyers to get in and the, and the and the columbus to miss and then i could just be like to this one rando on twitter see i told you they were a lock like that's that's the level of pettiness that you're dealing with here with me but in actuality you know i'm team all in you know i want columbus in there they lost again last night they got 13 games left the the team they got to worry about i think most is probably montreal and uh, Montreal's got a, a real tough go of it towards the end, but it's against a bunch of teams that might be sitting a lot of people. So they might have an easier path overall, I think, than Columbus does. But the, the, big, the, the biggest obstacle in Columbus's path, Emily, is Columbus! Yes, it is. I just want to talk about the Flyers really quick, and then we'll get to the Blue Jackets. And, of course, we have plenty more Blue Jackets to talk with Alice and Lucan coming up. But... I think it's pretty incredible what they're doing. When I was talking about the jobs that might have security uh, for the offseason, what's interesting is that I don't know if Scott Gordon, even though he's done a terrific job, is going to be behind the bench next year. I think Craig Berube has definitely earned his extension, and I think that's coming. But I wonder if uh, Chuck Fletcher wants to hire his own guy. Remember, Scott Gordon is not his guy. That said, 
what he's done is pretty incredible. And the narrative that Carter Hart saved the day isn't really a narrative because Carter Hart isn't around right now. They're still using their hodgepodge goalies. Uh, it's still them against the world. Jacob Vorchek has gotten a suspension that nobody that uh, lives in the greater Philadelphia or South Jersey area believes that he deserves. And mm-hmm. uh, they're just winning some games. And it's pretty incredible what they've done. We should pause here to talk about the Jakub Voracek suspension. Two yes. games for his hit, his reverse hit on Johnny Boychuk. I find this so fascinating. So the the, the Flyers and, and Voracek went to the NHLPA. And the NHLPA filed a uh, an appeal on his behalf for a two-game suspension, which is crazy rare. I can't even remember the last time there was an appeal on a suspension that light um, to the point where I think I don't think a lot of people know this, but Gary Bettman didn't even have to hear a suspension appeal under six games. He just, I did he could not just know say, that. Uh, he said, I don't care. National hockey but, reporter Emily Kaplan did not know that, but he took it. He took this one. And uh, I, I don't know what the outcome is. I think they're having the hearing as we're doing the show. Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is interesting that, that he's, he's humored it. Um, and it is interesting that the Flyers, I mean, obviously the Flyers being in such a playoff race, losing Voracek for two games, uh, would be a, a, a real problem. They, they, you know, fortunately won, uh, the first one that he missed, which was against Ottawa, uh, you know, cause it's Ottawa, but then they have to play against the Capitals on Thursday and that's a real tough game and you'd like to have Jake Voracek around for it. Now here's my problem with it. It's totally a suspension. Like it's, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't understand this. I've seen people uh, say, well, what do you expect Voracek to do there? Voracek's coming in, mm-hmm. head of steam. What is he supposed to do? Just stand there and get hit? I'm like, I don't know. But what he probably shouldn't do is use his back to hit the other guy in the head is probably what he shouldn't do. And there, the NHL has long suspended reverse checks on guys that feel like they're going to get uh, you know roar, roar you know railed at center ice by some dude uh coming in to check them um you just can't do it and and it, he knew what he was doing he thrust himself into into Boychuk Boychuk got injured so Voracek's never been suspended before so that's probably a one gamer for him but there was an injury on the play which means the NHL is going to make it two and I'm not quite sure what the counter argument is I mean it's a kind of a textbook hit to the head uh intentionally and, uh, it, you know, I, I understand, like, oh, what is he supposed to do there? But not hit him in the head is the answer. That's probably my answer is to not hit him in the head. I, I really think their only argument in the NHLPAs is this is a first-time offender and the discipline is not consistent. And the Flyers can use examples from their season. I mean, they saw Malkin recklessly, you know, use his stick as a baseball bat to Michael Raffle and only get one game and he was a first time mm-hmm. offender. Uh, you know, they had the incident with I can't remember uh, Curtis Grabriel, um, you know, who went after with uh, Nolan. Nolan Patrick, yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, I believe that was only one game suspension. So uh, they could use those examples and say, look, we understand he shouldn't have done this. Uh, he felt provoked. They can say he thought it was a hockey play. Uh, but all said and done, uh, the consistency is the most important thing here. And I do believe it should be reduced to a one-game suspension. That said, it definitely should be a suspension. And uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I, I keep coming back to this thing. It's kind of crazy to me that the Department of Player Safety has been so low on some of these suspensions this year. Yeah. It, it, it is It is absolutely stunning. Um, uh, the other day, I think I wrote, I, I, I wrote the, the, the – so the average number of games through, I think it was the Gabriel suspension, um, was 1.84 man games lost, and they've only handed out suspensions 
for three or more games for an on-ice incident just three times this season. And by March 7th of last season, they had eight of them. Wow. So they're coming in low. And I'm not quite sure. I, I, I would need to kind of talk to George Peros about that to figure out why that is. But there's no question that they are coming in lower this year with the suspension le- uh, numbers than they have in the past. And I'm not quite sure what that's about. I'm not, a tr- I'm not quite sure what, what leniency does in, in an era where everybody's like, there should be more games. So it's, it's kind of a bizarre trend this year. But so the Blue Jackets we'll get into with Allison in a second, but, but briefly, um, they've got, uh, five home games left, eight games on the road. Their last two games of the season are at the Rangers and then they finish at Ottawa. Woof. Um, but their last five games of the season are not easy. At Nashville, at Buffalo, Buffalo's going to be tough out versus Boston. Boston maybe still trying to put a cherry on top of home ice. And then they go at the Rangers at Ottawa. We'll get into it with Allison a little bit more, but but your 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 general thoughts on on this pursuit of the playoffs by the Columbus Blue Jackets and whether they're going to cross the finish line. I think they will. I like to hope they will because I don't think they're going to be the snake bitten. You know, you watched their game the other night against the Islanders, and I thought they played a really good game. Their goaltending was strong. They just could not get past Grice. They just could not figure it out. And I like to think that puck luck rewards it. Uh, you know, I do wonder, though, if we get into the point where it's the expectations that are paralyzing them. Uh, and that concerns me. Um, I also wonder, and I would love to ask this to Allison, and I plan on doing it, is is Tort's message growing stale? Are guys not responding to him anymore? Um, has he worn off on this group? And, and is that why they're not being motivated? So uh, I'm really curious in the dynamics in this room. I like to believe that they're going to do it. And I think everyone who's an observer of hockey should be rooting for this and is rooting for this because we like drama. Like, we want more Yammer <laughs> Kikalainen's in the world. Like, give us the silent assassins at trade deadline day. Don't give us the Arizona Coyotes who are saying, we're still building. We're going to build and build and build until... We can't build anything anymore because there's no players to play in Tucson because we're all injured. <laughs> all right. Before we get to Alice and Luke and to talk more about the Blue Jackets. Now joining us, as she does most weeks, is the fabulous Linda Cohn, who is the host of In the Crease on ESPN+. Plus. Linda, how are you doing? Doing fabulous. How are you, Emily? Linda, I'm doing great, and I want to know, it's March 12th as we record this, and the playoff picture is beginning to crystallize, but what team that's currently outside of it do you see as a team that can make and you're not giving up on yet? I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can't count this team out. I've seen them do this before. In fact, years ago they did it against the New York Rangers, and it came down to a shootout uh, win, and they snuck in. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Flyers. As I am speaking to you today, uh, last I looked, they're, they're as close as they've ever been in quite some time. They're three points out of a playoff spot. We know we have about a month left. I know they have a, a tough uh, road ahead of them, uh, meaning the quality of opponents they have. But I think it would be a remarkable story from beginning to end, as in beginning the introduction of the most talked about mascot in sports, Gritty. To the end, it would be incredible if they came out of nowhere in a season where they used eight goalies and set a record doing it to somehow making the postseason. And they're right there. I love it. I would love to see them face the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs, wouldn't you? I mean, how great. I mean, that would be great. I mean, 
if if that happened, oh, I mean, I'm already can't wait for Toronto, Boston, but <laughs> Flyers, Pittsburgh, my goodness, that would be incredible. Awesome, Linda. We'll remind our viewers where they can watch you and every hockey highlight every week. Of course, on ESPN Plus. I mean, what we bring each and every night there is amazing. You don't get it anywhere else. We have fun. We inform. And let's face it, all us hockey fans have to stick together. And you can find us in the crease. All right. Joining us now is Allison Lucan, writer covering the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Athletic Columbus. And, of course, for the Athletic overall, where everybody except me and Emily and the NHL.com people work. Uh, Allison... The Blue Jackets. We were discussing them before. Let's just go. Let's just go right off the bat. Let's not. Let's not save it for the end of the conversation. Are they going to get over the finish line or what? Are they going to be a playoff team? You know, I, I I continue to believe that they will put it together and make the postseason. Yes. All right. All My right. question. All right. I like it. I love the optimism. I I I want to buy it. I really do. I want to know though, Tortorella. Uh, you know. I'm starting to wonder if his message is wearing off on guys. One, do you think that there's a little bit of Tortorella fatigue? And two, you're around every day. Have you seen him evolve at all or change in the last couple days or even weeks as the pressure mounts? Oh, interesting. Um, You know, let's take the first part. I don't know that his message is wearing thin. I think maybe the, the stress we've seen there might be with some line changes as he seeks for kind of trying to find that offensive spark since this team can't seem to score right now. Um, but but I don't know that it's wearing thin um, just yet. Uh, the past couple of weeks have been interesting from from watching him, as you say. I talked to him a couple of years ago about how he thinks about leadership as a coach. And he was very clear back then, and he started to say this again now, that at a certain point, You've got to be, in his term, is with them. So the time for uh, criticizing, the time for getting frustrated and beating guys down with video and stuff like that is past. And this is about, for him, being in the trenches with them. So I have seen him, at least publicly to us, he's, he's very much in constructive coaching up mode. You know, he's not going to come out and blast this team when they get shut out, he's not going to throw guys under the bus. He's really kind of, I think, trying to keep them pumped up and optimistic and confident so that um, they can hopefully find their way out of whatever this doldrums is all about. Obviously, the a slew of acquisitions at the trade deadline. I've seen you defend the effort of Matt Duchesne so far on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're definitely, I'm sure there's some Colorado Avalanche fans that are out there just nodding along with your tweets being like, yep, yep, efforts there, results not, mm-hmm, yep, seen this before. Um, but what do you think about the, I guess we should, we should start with Duchesne, then also Zingle, and also, um, uh, 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 who's the defenseman they got from the Rangers? McQuaid. McQuaid. Yeah, McQuaid, right. I always, get, I, I always get him and Johnny Boychuck confused because they're Boston stuff. Uh, to, to break it down for us how those guys are all working out so far. Yeah, I, I, listen, we'll start with Duchesne. I mean, obviously the biggest name at the, at the deadline for what this team did. And I think when he came in, I think it was kind of a, like everyone wanted to play with the new toys, right? So he drew in with Artemi Panarin and Cam Atkinson, and they were all like, oh, look at this fancy pass I can make. Hey, look at this fancy pass I can make. But nothing was happening off those fancy passes. So I, they got broken up. 
I think these last couple games, we're starting to see Duchesne settle in. Um, he looked a lot more confident with the puck in this week's game against the Islanders. He looked to be controlling the flow of the game, bleeding into the next player a little bit, which is Ryan Zingle. He seems to be struggling a little bit more. You know, he, he is going from what was basically a top line, top power play unit guy in Ottawa to middle six minutes and no special teams time. He doesn't have a goal yet. He's got two assists, I think it is, in Columbus. And I think that's a struggle for him. And he, this is a fast player, but both he and Duchesne, if you, if you do dig into the numbers, have a little bit of a sneaky defensive liability to them. And so I think when they're not producing, that starts to sneak up a little bit more. And so I wonder, while it's nice to have Zingle and Duchesne on the same line as they do right now from a chemistry perspective, is it pulling them back a little bit? I honestly would love to see Duchesne back up between Atkinson and Panarin um, at least one more time. They've played him with Panarin a little bit, and, and I think that that's a nice combination. Um, on the back end, McQuaid was brought in as a, as a depth guy. Uh, the, the absence of Ryan Murray is really hurting this team. Um, McQuaid is McQuaid, right? I mean, he's a stay-at-home guy. He's going to defend your blue line, play physically, but that's pretty much it. Um, and it has taken him some time to get acclimated. I thought last, last game there against the Islanders, he finally started to look comfortable, but this is not going to be one of your top four guys going into into any kind of postseason play. So good God, Brian Murray, get healthy if you can. Um, <laughs> and Keith Kincaid, I mean, hasn't even seen the ice. He's, he's dressed <laughs> to be honored with his former yeah. team, but hasn't even seen the ice. So what, jury's out there. <laughs> what is that about? Like, I think we were all a little bit baffled by you scratch Bobrovsky against the Penguins, and then you don't play the guy in Kincaid who had the most success against the Penguins. Were you baffled by that? Well, I mean, the people I kind of banged the idea around with were were quick to say, well, sample size, and they were quick to say, too, you know, that was a very different team that he was playing behind last year when he had that kind of success, right. um, particularly last season. So I get it, but I also wouldn't have hated the move, right? Because <laughs> until Saturday, the Penguins were all up in the Blue Jackets' heads. I mean, there's no two ways about it. So why not shake it up? Why not say, hey, guys, let's see what you can do with this guy in net who, who has proven he can beat them. At that point, I'd be looking for, for any mental trick <laughs> you, could, you could muster. Allison, a player I am endlessly fascinated by is Anthony DeClaire. He is now 23 years old and on his fifth team in five years. And, you know, he signed with the Blue Jackets, and he told me earlier in the year when things were going great for him and he was scoring a bunch of goals that he wanted structure and he wanted to be coached by Torts. And by the end of his tenure with the Blue Jackets, he was getting scratched, and, you know, Torts had some choice comments for him on his way before he left, and I think Torts maybe regretted the way those might have come out, um, you know, in other conversations. But I'm curious, what do you think happened, and why didn't it work out for him in Columbus? There's a couple unfortunately about it. First, in his play, he is so strong offensively. He's so talented there. But he did have a little bit of a habit to make one too many moves from time to time. And he didn't really show a prowess for reading the play as effectively as maybe he could. Um, and it really started to bite him in terms of defensive play. Um, wasn't really able to suppress shots. If the, if the puck was on his stick he wasn't really as effective as maybe some other skaters. And 
he was he was coming. We would see flashes of it. I think his game was coming in that way. But then I think what what stung is a couple things that you know. In talking with Duclair, I think he's a great guy, but he's not. He's he's a quieter personality. He's a little more reserved with media, and, and I don't know how he was with the coaching staff. But I think sometimes mm-hmm. they felt like their messages weren't getting through to him. There were a couple times that um, the coaches would say it was a communication breakdown um, would lead to a scratch in terms of feeling like he was hearing the message. Um, and the, the with the final kind of comments there in Montreal, I think it was unfortunate. I do agree. I think that Torts regrets that. The shame of it was that I think it got perceived as this big blow up against a player in his hometown, which which is all true. But that was a storyline, and those were comments that we had been hearing in Columbus publicly um, for a while. So I think maybe Torts got too comfortable talking about the player as openly as he had been, didn't read his audience, and I think that stung. Uh, but it, there's just there's something about his two way play that he's still trying to find a way to put together and and gosh I still hope he can because he's so offensively talented he could be really dangerous if he could figure that out well we really needed you as a torts translator a couple weeks ago (laughs) it was was fantastic my last question for you is besides the pre-shot data is there any piece of information or any statistic that you know the NHL might have and might be able to have also with this player tracking that you'd love to see but is not publicly available (laughs) oh yes I, I know it's I know some of the private tracking companies have this too, um, is exactly where shots go against a goalie, right? Mm. So right. where against them? Is it five hole? Is it one two? Is it the corners? Which corner? That I have seen that kind of data come from some of the private tracking companies, but I think that would be huge, uh, even from a public interest perspective. I think that's something people look for, and I think that would be really informative as well. I like that. That was a real sort of Roswell, where are they hiding the bodies kind of question. Right. You know, what, what are they? What are they holding back from us? What does the NHL know that they're not telling us? <laughs> I very much dig it. Allison, where can people find your work? Oh well, I am over at the Athletic. Um, so you just go there and you can search for my name. Um, and on Twitter, I am Allison L at A L I S O N L. How do you secure such a baller handle? <laughs> I would, so I'm like a super nerd, and the reason I joined Twitter many, many moons ago was to discuss the show Lost. So <laughs> I, I think it. there were like so few of us on there that it was easy to be not creative and just use your actual name. Yeah, Who knew? Em- at Emily, then that's, that's such lies. Yeah. She she went for Wyshynski, but it was taken. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Have a great one. Our thanks to Allison Lucan of The Athletic uh, for that insight on the Blue Jackets and a great number of other things. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yes, it's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs which is, of course, our uh, look at the hockey media, the foibles, the hyperboles, the mistakes, the gaffes, all of it. Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal is a um, veteran scribe, but he's also joined the Keith Gretzky fan club. Quote, I too joined the chorus of followers of Keith Gretzky. He dealt with other GMs at the trade deadline, and the strong word was this. He was calm, knew what he wanted, and other GMs liked his work. He definitely should be considered for the vacant GM job. 
Keith Gretzky is not part of the old boy, old boys club. He has the Gretzky name, but he came from the Boston Bruins in 2016. He's worked his way up for close to 20 years, first as a scout, so quit with the remarks of the same old, same old from unhappy Oilers fans. Yeah, one problem. You know why he's in Edmonton? Because he was Peter Shirelli's guy. So he's not part of the old, old boys. He's just part of the new old boys. And doesn't really help with regime change if you're just bringing in what is essentially Peter Shirelli's right-hand man. Now, caveat, I wasn't really big on Brian McClellan getting hired by the Washington Capitals to be their GM. He turned out quite well. But I also didn't have a bunch of people uh, texting me and DMing me uh, when he got hired being like, this guy was a crappy scout. He's going to be a bad general manager, which is what happened when Keith Gretzky got the interim tag. So there you go. Not the old, old boys, just the new old boys. Jim Matheson, Team Keith Gretzky. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, your bong. Emily Kaplan's marijuana opus finally dropped on ESPN last week. Emily, what did you learn from your exploration of weed in the NHL? I learned a lot, and I also learned that a lot of people in the NHL don't really know about the weed policy. You know, and as I was asking around and reporting on the story, I was asking a bunch of agents, you know, about their guys and a bunch of players about it, and I found a lot of misinformation or a guy saying, you know what, I'd read a piece like that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, I, you know, I do think it's interesting that the NHL, if you read my piece initially, a lot of people are lauding them as being the progressive league, and, and they are, uh, but this is not anything reactionary to Canada becoming the largest country in the world to rec- uh, legalize recreational marijuana or the latest midterm elections and the new landscape that it is. This has been their policy for some time. It's kind of their policy that we don't want to interfere with guys. We don't want to give them arbitrary penalties. We're just trying to help them. And for better or for worse, that's what it is. And I would be shocked if the NFL in 2020, when their collective bargaining agreement, uh, the NFLPA doesn't put something similar on the table or the NBA does as well, because Adam Silver keeps saying he wants to follow the science. What do you think about uh, marijuana insofar as the concussion crisis in the NHL? Look, I um, I don't think there's much of a weed culture right now in the NHL. As you guys all know, I cover the NFL, and I think players are much more open and candid about talking about their affinity for weed. Uh, that said, uh, I think that guys are starting to look at it um, for some of the therapeutic aspects of it. But medicinally, I think that there are tons of benefits. And as you know, the NHL Alumni Association partnered with this cannabis company to do this study. I think that there can be a lot of exciting benefits. And I'm just really excited to see what they find from it. And I, I do think that guys are going to turn to this more and more, especially the CBD aspect of it. There you go. Uh, Dateline Anaheim. The Anaheim Ducks released one of the greatest bobbleheads oh in the God. history of bobbles or heads. <laughs> showing Ryan Getz laugh. On the day he was drafted on one side. So think of, think of like Two-Face from Batman, right? So on one side, it's Ryan Getzlaff on the day he was drafted with a full quaff of hair. And on the other side... With the same eyebrow, same eyes, same teeth. Same everything, right. New uniform. He's now sans hair. So it is if... Think of like a tidal wave cresting. And that's kind of the hair on the one side. And then nothing a barren beach on the other side. It is it is a hell of a look. And uh, kudos to the, you know, usually it's the sharks that come up with the awesome bobbleheads in California. I got to gotta admit, the Thomas Hurdle uh, Christmas suit one that I have on my desk at home is, you know, one of my prized possessions. And uh, and I, I got to say that this one here, this one here is pretty good. I'm down I with will, it. 
I will give a shout out too to the Anaheim Ducks uh, social and video department because they came up with an awesome video. You should check out their Twitter uh, to do it, in which they lauded the greatest possibly giveaway in team history. Mm-hmm. There you go. Misery loves comedy. The Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Uh, Dateline St. Louis goaltending controversy with the Blues? Of course. Why Jeremy not? Rutherford wonders if Jake Allen can take the crease from Jordan Bennington. Quote, Bennington get, could get the next start he is, but it wouldn't surprise. It wouldn't be a surprise if it were Allen, and it's Allen, and he plays well. Could he be laying the groundwork to be the Blues' number one net miner in the playoffs? He has 22 postseason appearances, a record of nine and ten with a two point uh, a two point one zero goals against and a nine twenty two save percentage. While Bennington has no experience. Um, Bennington's not been as good. As he's as he was for a few you know, like a long like a month, but he's still been pretty damn good. Um, I don't really buy the the playoff experience argument for Jake. It's not like we're dealing with Ken Dryden here. You know, Jake Allen is not a, a nine and ten record. Is not like well, you've got to give this man the keys and let him drive. I think Jordan Bennington will be at the end of the day the reason the Blues are in this position. And I don't like the idea, although I'm sure there are guys in that locker room that do like the idea of Jake Allen ascending back to his throne and not having some kid from the AHL take it. I don't like the idea of Jordan Bennington not having this crease in the playoffs. All right, Team Bennington, it's on the record. Unless he turns into a pumpkin in like the next two weeks, but I don't think it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden he gets rattled by questions. I am nervous. (laughs) Dateline Elmira. Oh, God, what a weird God. ass story this was. So uh, the the Robbie Nichols, the owner of the Elmira Enforcers of the Federal Hockey League, um, got into a physical altercation with a referee over what he believed was a blown goal call in the game. He was already fired up because his his captain uh, was uh, injured earlier in the game. There was a penalty on it, but he was kind of upset already about losing one of his his best guys. So he and the referee kind of had this chest-to-chest bump and shove uh, at the Zamboni entrance after the first period. And here's where it gets great. The referees, they go then leave back onto the ice, call the director of officiating for the Federal, Federal Hockey League, and then decide they're not going to work the game anymore. Game gets canceled. The police get involved. And then the director of officiating for the Federal Hockey League quits on Monday, the day after the game, saying that this is uh, another in a series of incidences involving his officials. It's never gotten physical before. This time it gets physical. So he quits and uh, assumes that a number of the referees that worked for the FHL will also follow him out, uh, and it becomes this gigantic crisis. Um, And now the officials did not tell the local police that they were going to file charges against the owner of the team because the referee in the game is a former New York City cop who thought that the local police would cover up the crime. So they're going to take it to the stadies and file charges on the New York State police level. And so we may not be hearing the end of this story, but a weird and wacky one from the minor leagues of, of hockey. Great job covering it. <laughs> great. Dateline, Dateline the 1990s Captain Marvel. Did you see it? Not yet, but I would like to. All right. Well, I'm not, I will not spoil it. I will say that it reminded me a lot of Thor mm. in the sense that it is... Uh, kind of funny in places and a lot of fish out of water stuff. 
it's uh it's I liked it a lot. I think it's entertaining. I think it's definitely got moments. It's got a huge twist in it uh, involving the uh, heroes and villains in the story that I won't spoil, but it's great. I will say that I don't know if Brie Larson could be any better in the movie in a in a role that that's that's that underwritten. And so that's kind of the bummer about it is we don't really know at the end of the day. The entire movie is about her discovering who she is. And at the end of the day, we don't even know who she is. That's kind of a bummer. Okay. Dateline The Bachelor. Colton picked no one on Monday. I know. I haven't seen the series, but I was going to binge it all in one day. Well, spoiler. He didn't pick anybody. But there is another episode to come tonight. So maybe he does find love. Um, but, uh, but in, in the thing I love about the bachelor every year, two things, one, how many sports writers watch it? It's kind of embarrassing and athletes. It's, it's, I I can't quite put my finger on it except to say that it's a competition. So guys like it and it's romance. So girls like it. And maybe there's a bridge to be built there between couples. At least that's my experience. And two, I love how, and no matter what happens in the finale, Chris Harrison goes on television and, and says, in the most shocking moment in the history of Bachelor Nation, it could literally just be like somebody, it's a guy and a girl getting together and, and deciding we're going to have a platonic, we're going to have a, a nuclear family, two kids and a dog. And then Chris Harrison's like, in the single most shocking moment in the history of Bachelor Nation, it's the greatest. All right, All now right. it's time for the rant line. Hominville blocked his own shot into an empty net and the Sabres lost to the Oilers. Because life is cruel, life is terminal, and we're never, ever going to make the playoffs again. Let's go, Buffalo. No, I mean, that being said, the Bills did get Antonio. Ah, sorry. Mm. Yeah, sorry. The thing about Pominville is, though, that's the second time in his career he's blocked his own shot. You know how hard that is? (laughs) It's an incredible feat. Yeah, you should be celebrating that level of skill, not bemoaning the fact that he, you know, cost the Sabres. One game that they've lost many of. But I hear you, Buffalo fans. It's a sad and long spring ahead again. Listen, it's going to be fine. I have full faith in Jason Botterill to figure this thing out. He's already making some good moves. And then the great thing is, is that if they don't come together next year, you get to fire Phil Housley. Won't that be fun? And find, find a new coach? I think he's doing okay. But All right. What's that rant line number for people to call in and, and air their grievances? Just remember, folks, you can call the rant line at 860-516-1029. That's 860-516-1029 to let us know what is perturbing you this week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we do have to kind of like go through 75 calls from Buffalo each week. But this one was a good one. So we wanted to play it on the air. All right. That's ESPN Ice for this week. Our thanks to Allison Lucan. Our thanks to Shannon Sabatos. Sabat. Sab- yeah, she's want- Canadian. I just wanted to retire. Um, you can read my stuff on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I, and of course on ESPN.com. ESPN.com and at Emily M. Kaplan. And all I have to say is bye. 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 Bet ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.